Father, we pray that as we come to your word now, that, that your word would correct us and equip us and train us in, in righteousness, and that, that anything we have going on in our hearts and minds that would distract us or, or hinder us from hearing your word this morning, Father, push that off to the side because we want to hear you speak. We want to be corrected by you. We want to be equipped. We want to be built up, strengthened, encouraged by you. So, Father, meet us here and and speak to us through your word clearly and and powerfully this morning. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. So we're looking at Malachi 1. Verses 1 through 14. So it's the last book of the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles open, you can turn to that. It'll be the book before Matthew. So, I don't know, about two-thirds of the way through the book. If you open it up, you'll find Matthew and Malachi will be right before that. Otherwise, it will be up on the screen as well. Malachi 1, verses 1 through 14. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says, yet I've loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated, and I've turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say that we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins, but this is what the Lord Almighty says, they may build, but I will demolish They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, How have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it's defiled, and of its food, it's contemptible. And you say, what a burden! And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed 
is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. (laughs) Yeah, as I said, God is not happy with Israel. And, and, and it was interesting, as I was studying this passage this week, I, I felt like I kept having flashbacks to, to interactions I've had, well, on the one hand, with my own parents, and now as a parent with my own children. And I'm sure you've all had it, too, where you, uh, there's kind of this gut reaction in children. Um, you go into the kitchen, and you say, who made this mess? And what's the first reaction you get? I didn't do it, right? Uh, not me. Um, or, or two siblings are fighting, and you come up and talk to them, and you'd be like, you need to knock it off, and they both say, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. It was them. There's kind of this natural gut reaction inside, not just children, but us too. <laughs> To assume that we're always innocent. And to assume that we have done nothing wrong. And, and it's just, it's right there. I mean, if, if you think about like going to work and somebody at work approaches you and says, hey, I think you did this wrong. I, I bet if you paid attention, your first gut reaction is, I didn't do anything wrong. Somebody else must have messed it up. Or if somebody comes and corrects you about an aspect of your life and says, hey, I see this in your life and maybe this is not good or, or healthy, your kind of gut reaction is, I'm not doing anything wrong. You're doing something wrong by correcting me. It's kind of there. It's just in us. I would say it's our sinful nature that's kind of there. We don't want, we want to assume that we're always innocent. And, and actually, one of the things that makes that worse is when we find ourselves in times of, of stress and difficulty and anxiety. Because there's this other tendency we have that when we get into really difficult, stressful, exhausting moments of life, we naturally kind of start to turn in on ourselves. Um, they would, some people would call it a survival instinct, and I would say, well, it actually doesn't help with survival. But, but we think it's a survival instinct. We think, man, things are so hard right now. I just need to focus on me and myself and take care of my needs. And I just got to ignore everyone else out there because I just need to focus on me. And, and that's just kind of our natural thing. But what happens is the more we focus on me and ourselves, um, we stop caring about what anybody else has to say or think. And then when someone comes in to bring correction, you're, you kind of say, I don't care what you have to say. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how hard it is for me. You don't know why I do that. You've got such a cushy, cozy life. Go off and live your cushy, cozy life. I'm in a hard place right now. Kind of our gut. Now, as adults, you learn to filter that. It goes on up here. <laughs> doesn't always come out of our mouth, but it's still there. And it's that type of a conversation that's going on between God and his people in, in this passage. Um, and it's important to remember 
like where this conversation happens in kind of the history of God's people. Um, like I said, Malachi is the last book of the, of the Old Testament. He's the last prophet to God's people. And, and so God's people were sent off into exile in Babylon because they had disobeyed God. And so part of their discipline was to be sent off into Babylon. And they were there for 70 years and God delivers them from Babylon. Some of them go back to Jerusalem and they rebuild the temple, kind of. <laughs> and then they rebuild the walls around Jerusalem and they're start trying to kind of get their life back, but they get distracted partway through, and they kind of stop focusing on, on rebuilding the temple and rebuilding Jerusalem. They just start focusing on, on building their own houses and building their own businesses. That's, uh, if you go read the Haggai and Zechariah, God sent prophets to them and said, you came here to rebuild my house, and now you're only worried about rebuilding your own house and your own business, business and making your own name great. Get back to it. And, and they hear his rebuke, and they, they finish the temple but what happens is they, they thought, we did what God wanted us to do. We finished the temple, kind of. And now, like the messianic age is going to come in. Everything's going to be really great. And it didn't happen. And they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And nothing happened. They finished the temple, but this big messianic age hasn't come. And they're getting tired and tired of waiting. And uh, one of the commentators said this passage from Isaiah kind of gives you an idea of probably what was going on in the hearts of God's people during this time of Malachi. They were saying something like, justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, behold darkness. For brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We, we stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it's far from us. These are tired and weary people, right? Exhausted. We're looking for light and salvation, and it's not there. Where is it? Why isn't it coming? And, and again, what happens when, when we feel this way? You start to kind of turn in on yourself, right? I'm tired, and, and, and I'm weary, and I just need to do what's right for me. I just need to focus on me. All this other stuff that I've been doing, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to do what's good for me. And, and they stop caring about anyone else's opinion or anyone else's thoughts or anything else. They just become selfish and self-focused. And when you do that, your heart gets hard. And you become blind. And you can't receive correction, even if it's coming from God. I mean, look at how they respond. God comes to them and he says... A son honors his father, and a servant honors his master. Well, if I'm your father, where's my honor? And, and if I'm your master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? 
the God of the universe comes to them and corrects them and says, I'm your father and you're not treating me like a father. And I'm also your master and Lord and you're not treating me like a master and Lord. You don't really care about me. You're so focused on yourself and all the things that you want to do, but you have ignored me, who is your Father and Lord, because you've been so self-focused. And he says, you've dishonored me. And they respond by saying, how have we despised your name? And that's the tone. It's written in such a way, it's not that they're saying, how have we despised your name? Tell us, we, we want to repent. It's actually written, you could almost write it as not a question and just say, we have not despised your name. But it's more snarky than that. That's why it's a question. It's like, how dare you say that we've despised your name to God? And so God comes to them and he says, guys, you, you've gotten so focused on yourself. You're, you're selfish and self-focused. You've, you've dishonored me and you've despised my name. Turn and they say, we haven't done anything wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. Which actually proves that God's right, <laughs> doesn't it? Because if they actually honored God for who he is and gave him the glory that he deserved and feared him like a master, when he came to them and said, guys, you're dishonoring me, they would say, oh, sorry, right? You'd, you'd listen, you'd submit if you actually honored him. But if you don't actually honor somebody and they come to correct you, you say, get out of here. I don't want to have to hear any of this. And that's how they're treating God. And, and what happens is they're going to keep doing that over and over and over throughout this, this passage and throughout the book. Where every time God comes to his people with a correction or a rebuke, they say, what are you talking about? We haven't done anything wrong. And it's really, it's really this clear picture of how kind of this selfish focus on ourselves hardens our hearts and blinds our eyes to reality. Um, because they actually think they're honoring God with their lives. They think they are. It's not that they know that they're not honoring God. They think they are. But they're not. And when God comes to tell them that they're not, they say, no, we are honoring you. And so their selfishness has caused their heart to become hard and their eyes to become blind. And I think that's a pretty scary reality um, for each one of us. And if it doesn't scare you, it should. Because it's this reminder that it's really easy for all of us, not just God's people in the Old Testament, but every one of us, including your pastor, to fall into this place where we are blind and hard-hearted to the point where we think we're honoring God, but we're so blind that we don't even recognize that we're not. That we're actually dishonoring God with our life and how we're living and how we're speaking. And we can become so blind and so hard-hearted that even a rebuke from God's people, we go, what are you talking about? Even a rebuke from God comes at us and we go, no, that's not me. And we still think that we're honoring God, but we aren't. 
And we can fall into patterns of living and acting that, that just completely blind us to reality. And that's, that's kind of a fearful thing. Um, it's one of the reasons why, we'll, I don't know if we'll get to that eventually in the sermon, but God, in Hebrews it says, um, Hebrews 6, it talks about, let your, uh, be rebuked, basically be rebuked by God every day, lest your heart be hardened and sinned. Exhort one another every day, lest your heart be hardened in sin. It says, if you're not re- receiving correction and rebuke on a regular basis, your heart becomes hard as a rock and you'll never receive it. But so God keeps coming in. So that's why God responds the way he does to their blindness and their hard heart. He comes to them and says, I'm just going to keep pointing out to you the ways that you're dishonoring me and hopefully maybe we could start cracking this this heart open. And I think the first thing that he says should have been just a powerful blow to a hard heart, but they immediately reject it. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Talk about a slap in the face. And and, and one of the, the powerful ways that God says this to them, he doesn't just say, I love you. He says, I have loved you. Meaning, I have loved you in the past, and I love you still now. And, and what he's reminding God's people of when he says this is, I loved you when I called Abraham out of nothing and made a great nation out of him. And I loved you when I chose Jacob whose name is Israel. And I loved you while I protected you while you were in Egypt. And I loved you when I delivered you out of Egypt. And I loved you when I brought you into the promised land. And I loved you when I protected you in the exile. And I loved you when I pulled you out of the exile and set you up in Israel again. And I love you now. Even when you're spitting in my face even when you're dishonoring me, even when you're disrespecting me, even when you're polluting my offering, I love you. And they go, how have you loved us? It shows how hard those hearts have been. And so God comes to them as a father, and he says, I've loved you like a father. And they say, no, you haven't loved us like a father. So he comes to them from a different angle. Says, well, how about as a master? He says, I, I come to you as a master and you've polluted my offerings. And they say, how have we done that? By offering polluted food upon my altar. And then they say, well, how have we polluted you? And he comes to them as a father. They reject that. Then he comes to them as a Lord, as a master who deserves worship. And he says, you've polluted the worship of me. Not only have you, you not honored me as a father, but the worship I deserve has become polluted. It's just garbage. And they go, no. No, how, how have we done that? How have we polluted your offering? How, how have we polluted your worship? And God says, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? And again, God's asking questions, but they're not questions. He's saying, that is evil. And what's been going on with them, and you can see how this happens, right? They're in a tough spot. They're in a difficult spot. And so they're saying, well, I need to make sure I care for myself 
I can't give God the, the best of my flock. I have to give him, well, I'm going to give him the, the lambs that I'm already going to get rid of because they're lame and I'm either going to have to put them down or whatever. They're no good to me. So yeah, might as well not waste them. I might as well give them to God at least. And God's like, really? Is that, is that who I am? Right? So they were so focused on themselves and their problems that they thought, well, I have to keep the best for myself because I've got to care for me, but God can kind of have whatever's left over. And God says, that's dishonoring to me, and that's a pollution of my worship. And he actually takes it even stronger, and he says, give that to your governor. Like, he's not even going to accept these kind of offerings. Right? Will he show you favor if you bring these to some human leader? You know he wouldn't. And actually, this connects really well to last week's sermon, even though it wasn't the plan. But God's saying, you would never give that kind of an offering to, to your boss or to one of your leaders because you honor and respect them and their opinion more than you honor and respect me. You would never do that to someone around you. He said, you, you care about their opinion and their glory and their honor more than you care about the glory and the honor of your God. And then God says something that, I've been thinking about this a lot this week, because I think it should stop us in our tracks. He says, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors of the temple, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hands. I mean, God says to them, like, you've dishonored me so much, you've polluted my offering so much, it would be better for you just to shut the temple down than to keep on coming in here and dishonoring me over and over and over and over again pretending like you're worshiping me, but not. Deceiving yourselves, hardening your hearts even more. He said, I would rather the temple be shut down than have you keep making it worse for yourselves by worshiping me and dishonoring me over and over and over again. Um, it's, It's one of these instances where God, you know, we have this saying where we say, well, something's better than nothing. And God goes, no, not in this case. Um, I would rather have nothing than this polluted something. Uh, One of the commentators this week said, it's better to be speechless than to blaspheme God. (laughs) And it's preferable to experience the agony of being far away from God than to deceive oneself by assuming that God will listen to the appeals of a hypocrite. Because you're kind of, like, if you're just pretending, you think you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and that is actually worse for you. And God said, I would rather it just be shut down than to keep having this false, fake, dishonoring worship being given to me. And then he says, he says, this is how they're describing his worship. What a wearisomeness, what weariness this is. And then you snort at it, says the Lord. It's just like a kid. Right? Like, that's, the, that's the, what it's talking about. You, it's too hard. It's too hard. It's like, I said, these, these are the moments as a parent where I just take a step back and I take a breath. 
so I don't say something I'm going to regret. Because I want to say, are you kidding me right now? Like, I've been working my tail off all week trying to keep your house clean, keep, bring you where you need to be, trying to do all this, and you're telling me it's too hard to put a dish in the dishwasher? Like, give me a break. Sometimes it comes out. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you're like, just put the dish in the dishwasher. But that's what they're, they're saying to God. They're saying, but... I mean, you ask so much of us. It's so, it's so hard for us. Like, we're just tired, Lord. We're, it's so hard. Why are you asking? And what's actually even worse about this, that, that word weariness, it's the same word that was used, they used to describe their time in Egypt, their time in the desert, and their time in Babylon. Yeah. Slavery, exile. They're like, it kind of feels like you're that to us right now. And, and we get frustrated with our kids when they do that kind of stuff, but God's got way more on us because God has literally given us everything. He's given them the mouth to mock him with. He's given them the animals that he's asking them to give back to him. He's given them the strength to be able to, to not make it a weariness to worship him. And they're still complaining about saying, well, it's so hard. And eventually, God comes back to them in this book and he says, you know what? You have wearied me. And, you know, there's God's interaction with his people in in this passage and throughout this book, there's kind of been this underlying thing that God keeps saying. I haven't touched it yet, but we're getting there. And, And it's this underlying statement from God that could be rephrased as a question. And again, it's a question that, if you're a parent, you've said before. I, I would assume you've said it before. You've wanted to say it. And the question is, who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> like, who, what gives you the right to speak to me, your parent, like this, right? And, and what God is saying is not necessarily that. God's actually not rebuking them for speaking back to him. But God's rebuking them by saying, who do you think it is that you're serving? Do you think I'm just some guy? Or do you think I'm the God of the universe? And and who do you think it is that you're worshiping? Am I no better than your other leaders? Or am I the God of the universe that you're worshiping? Like, who do you think? And, And just in case they didn't know, he tells them. He says, I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. He says, I, you want to respect your governors, fine. But I'm, a lot, I'm better and higher and more glorious and worthy of more praise and honor than they are. I'm a great king. I'm the Lord of hosts. I have angel armies that I'm over. I'm worthy of all of your worship, all of your attention, all of your devotion, everything. And what he says is, and I will be worshipped. It's not whether God will be worshipped. He said, I will be worshipped. And the question is, who's going to be the ones to worship him? Because he, he goes on, he says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will 
be great among the nations. And in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering, not a polluted offering, but a pure offering for my name will be great. Just in case you didn't hear it the first few times, my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And what God's telling Israel in this time which is setting up the New Testament very well. He's saying, if you continue to dishonor me and pollute my name and my worship, and you continue to say, oh, this is so hard, I will go to the other nations, and they will worship me. And they will worship me with a pure worship. And that's why when we get to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says his whole ministry is what? I'm going to go preach to the Gentiles so that the Jews are jealous. So that they will see that these people are worshiping God and that the Jews would maybe turn and come back to God and worship them. And and actually that's what God said at the very beginning of this. He says, you know, I've loved you and your own eyes, Israel. Your eyes will see this and you will say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. And then they will say, ah! He does love us. He is great and powerful. And Paul said, that's why I do everything I do. (laughs) To get the nations to come and worship God so that the Jewish people, so that Israel would go, the Lord is great and he's worthy of all of our worship. But God's main thing he's trying to, to tell God's people is that he's reminding them, I am not a God to be mocked or to be taken lightly. And I'm not a God who's willing to take second place in your lives. I'm not a God just willing to kind of take up the leftovers of your life. I'm not a God who's kind of like a genie in the bottle that can be kind of set aside while you focus on yourself for a little bit and you can kind of pull me out when you need something. I'm not that. I'm the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm the God of the universe. I'm the God who's loved you. Serve me that way. Worship me that way. Love me like a father and a master. And, and like I said, you know, we're going through this book of Malachi, and it's the first Sunday in Lent. And, uh, and Lent is the season where the church throughout history, as they've celebrated Lent, it's been a season leading up to Easter where we're preparing our hearts and our souls to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the way you prepare your heart and soul is through repentance, is through penitence. That's why a lot of traditions do Ash Wednesday, and they put a, you know, a cross of ashes saying, like, we're going to spend the next period of time leading up to Easter in kind of sackcloth and ashes and repentance and evaluating our lives and, and turning from any sin we have in our lives. Because if we don't do that regularly, what happens? Our hearts are hard. We become blinded. And we start living in ways that dishonor God while we think we're honoring God. And so my gut reaction to this book was, whew, this is going to be a hard one as we go through Easter. And yet I eventually realized, no, this is exactly, I think, what we need to hear. Uh, It's going to be a book that's going to come to us and it's going to kind of poke us every week and say, Are you honoring God? 
Are you taking his worship seriously? Are, are you acting like following God is such a hard burden? And to keep kind of getting poked by that a little bit is a good reminder for us. Not so that we walk out of here feeling guilty and beat up. Um, that's, that's never the goal. And not so that we go, well, that's not me, thankfully. I don't have to pay attention because I'm, I got this under control. No, it's so that everybody can get not poked a little bit by God saying, are you honoring me? Are, are you worshiping me? Are you treating me as if I'm the God of the universe and following me that way? And then repent of it. And receive forgiveness and cleansing and then leave and walk in that. And so I'm encouraging all of us. These have been hitting me all week as I've been, so I get to let them hit you for the next week. Like, ask yourself, how have, how have I dishonored God with my life? And maybe you haven't done it intentionally. Maybe you've just gotten distracted and, and wandered off. That's what happened with God's people. Um, but how have I dishonored God with my life? Or have I been treating God like he's kind of secondary, just giving him kind of the leftovers? Have I been taking the worship of God lightly in my own life? Giving him kind of blind, lame things? Have I been acting like it's such a burden to follow God and worship him? I hear that a lot. Nobody says it explicitly, but you hear it a lot. Ultimately, are we, and this is the question for all of us, are we treating God as if he's God? And are we serving him as if he's God? And are we worshiping him as if he's God? And, and the challenge throughout this book is to not respond like God's people do in this book by saying, well, I know it's not me. The challenge is, is to let it stick, even if you think it's not you. Even if your gut reaction is, no, I'm good. No, let it stick for a bit and go, well, where? Where do I need correction? And then... Once it sticks, and once your eyes are open to see where you need to repent, then you go to the God that loves you. Because <laughs> he loves you. He loved you in the past, just like Israel, and he loves you now, even in your rebellion. So you don't have to try to like hide it from him, because guess what? He already knows. So don't try to hide it. Just repent of it. And, and say, I'm sorry, I, I've noticed I've got wandered off, I've become focused on myself and, and my own needs, I've, I've neglected you, and so, Father, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Cleanse me. But then renew me. Help me not to walk out from here living the same way as I had with, with my eyes on myself. Open my eyes to see you and to worship you rightly. Um, and then you go and you do it. And you take the next few steps by faith, saying, all right, Lord, help me take this step in a way that brings glory and honor to you. When you mess up, you come back to him and you say, sorry, forgive me. Give me strength to keep moving forward. And then you go and you live as if he's your father who loves you and as if he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords who deserves all honor and glory and praise. Let's come to him in prayer. Father, we come into your presence 
aware that we have no right to come into your presence. We have no right to stand before you because we have been so distracted, so caught up in ourselves and our own little things that every single one of us, including me, has neglected you, has given you leftovers, have gotten distracted. So, Father, we ask your forgiveness. Father, forgive us for not giving you the honor you deserve. Forgive us for not bringing you good and right worship. Forgive us for acting as if it's so hard to follow you. And cleanse us. But then, Father, fill us with your spirit so we would walk away changed. We'd walk away in the strength of your spirit to do what you've called us to do, that we'd walk out in the strength of your spirit to live a life that worships you rightly and brings glory and honor to you rightly. Father, we're thankful for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who purifies all of our impurities, who purifies our faults, who purifies our, our polluted worship, and brings it all before you as perfected. We're thankful for that. Help us live in the hope of that. Help us live in the strength of that. And may you receive the glory and the honor you deserve from us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.